0: Welcome to His Health, the show where we'll be tackling the health issues that are most important to men. I'm your host, Rick Malambri, and we're going inside the topics that men of all ages need to know and taking you out of the comfort zone when it comes to those health issues that men don't normally like to discuss. So let's get started. With me today is Dr. James Simmons, a board certified nurse practitioner in the LA area and founder of Ask the NP an online and social media health community that answers questions that you're too scared to ask your MD. Today, we're discussing the most important topics of health issues and concerns for men in the BIPOC community. The His Health Podcast is brought to you in partnership from Providence and Boston Scientific, and many of our questions come from our listeners on social media, where we can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. Before we start today, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Okay, so let's get started by welcoming Dr. James Simmons. Dr. James, how are you?
1: Oh, man, so good. How are you, Rick?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, just for everybody listening and... uh and everything. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and your role?
1: I was born on a farm back in nineteen. 19- no, I'm kidding. Right? You don't <laughs> you don't want me to go that far back, okay? Um. So, what? Who am I? What is my role? So, I well, first, I think I'll start with. Sometimes the doctor nurse practitioner is a little bit confusing to people. So let me just sort of break that down for folks. I'm a I'm a registered nurse. All nurse practitioners are. I went on to become a nurse practitioner, which means I have the ability to diagnose diseases, prescribe medications and interventions, be the primary care provider for folks, and then I went on past that and got my doctorate. Um, so I'm a I'm a doctorally prepared nurse practitioner. And prior to all of that, I had this kind of weird, funky career in like radio and television. In fact, my original degree, my bachelor's degree, is in broadcast journalism. So. Oh, wow. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. I actually started off in radio and and a little bit of TV news. And so I decided I wanted to merge these things. Um, And oh, God, seven, eight years now, eight, nine years, something like that. I was like, huh, there's this YouTube thing that I spent an inordinate amount of time on watching some (laughs) videos. But like, I could probably like educate people right i could throw up i could use my iphone and throw up some videos and answer people's questions about medical stuff because all of my friends and family were asking constantly so i started doing that just putting up videos and i look back at, at them now rick they're horrible they're just awful oh gosh Please. <laughs> but, uh, i'm sure we all we all have those right oh yeah um, oh yeah it's it's something but lo and behold there's my midwest coming out lo and behold uh, a couple of these videos took off, like really took off. Several hundred thousand views, which remember eight or nine years ago, that was like a big deal. Um, yeah. So I was like, huh, I might be on to something here. So fast forward now through that time, I do a ton of media. I started this Ask the NP, Everything You're Too Scared to Ask Your MD sort of empire. It's mm-hmm biggest on instagram but i still do post videos to youtube occasionally and twitter and facebook and all that stuff and we just talk about all the stuff that people sometimes are a little scared to talk to their primary care provider about and obviously in the last 19 months a lot of covid
0: yeah i bet man yeah you're a man of many talents uh sure
1: i'll take that (laughs) i appreciate that
0: today we are talking about health issues that are and concerns that affect men of BIPOC community more prevalently or on a larger scale. Uh, Tell us what you think and why you think it's important to have this discussion and why you wanted to be a part of this conversation on this topic.
1: Yeah, you know, there's uh, one of the things that's been so amazing about the, the time that I've spent with Providence and You know so i've been doing this sort of media thing and whether it's hosting live events or doing videos on my own social media or internal videos i've been working with providence for a few years now and one of the things that providence has sort of let me go on and just let me do is having conversations about the health disparities among certain bipoc communities and for those listening bipoc is Black, Indigenous, and people of color, right? Mm-hmm. We we like to make things really convenient, right? So we like to say, <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about all the Black people, all the Indigenous people, all the Latinos, all of the people of color, everyone, API, Asian Pacific Islanders, let's lump everyone together and call them BIPOC because that makes us more comfortable. So for the sake mm-hmm. of conversation and time, we can talk about BIPOC communities, but, you know, in particular, I live at the intersection of being a biracial black man and being queer. Mm-hmm. And so Providence has been really great about having sometimes what are really tough conversations at that intersection, as well as a lot in the last year since the murder of George Floyd and the, you know, summer of racial uprising that happened in 2020. Yeah. Have really tough conversations about you know how does racism play itself out in the healthcare system how why are there so many different disparities among BIPOC communities as a whole but in particular the black community when it comes to some of the most preventable diseases we have and so as someone who has a platform and access to media I feel like it's absolutely my my responsibility to have these conversations, so we can kind of move it forward and get rid of some of those disparities.
0: Yeah, I agree. What what kind of health issues and and disparities do you do you typically discuss on, and what what are most significant to you?
1: Hmm. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take everything. No, no. Uh, so, my doctoral research is actually in HIV prevention okay um specifically why we have you know uh, oral although a shot is coming very very soon it's very exciting but we mm. have oral hiv prophylaxis right now in the united states we prescribe that as a pill that you can take every single day and it is 99 percent effective at preventing transmission of hiv through sex that's amazing and mm-hmm. because of that and because of the advancements in hiv treatment HIV, if you have HIV, it's much more of just a lifelong chronic disease now. If you do not have HIV, we have a pill you can take that's 99% effective at preventing you from getting HIV. And in all racial gender categories, rates of HIV are falling, except for young Black men who have sex with men. And so my doctoral research is basically, why is that happening? Although lots of- People way, way, way smarter. It's super interesting, isn't it? Lots of super people way smarter than me have been figuring out the why. I decided to see if social media was a way that we could fix that. So that's what my doctoral research is in. So I'm super passionate about HIV in the Black community, as well as some of the biggies. You know, heart disease is still the number one killer of everyone everywhere globally. Mm-hmm. Like if anyone remembers that from this podcast, <laughs> heart disease is. The number one killer of everybody everywhere except it kills black men two to three times more than it kills white men at a younger age so there's more black men who die of heart disease between the age of 25 and 54 three times as many as white men um you know i could, I could go on with a lot of the statistics but there's, there's reasons for that. Right. And so I feel like heart disease, diabetes in particular, high blood pressure, of course, goes along with both of those HIV. Like those are the things I'm really, really, really passionate about with my community. Well,
0: what do you, what are your thoughts on why that is? What, uh, what's the differences between white men, black men, Hispanic men? What are the differences in, in the, why you see more black men having heart disease and at an earlier age than others.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh boy. How long is this podcast? (laughs) As long as you (laughs) want it to be. As long as, Oh, well in that case, let me crack my knuckles here and uh, get going. So no, I, in all honesty, you know, this is, I feel like we should have had like a an intro to this that was like hey probably gonna make some people uncomfortable listening because that's kind of what dr james does so (laughs) of course right so
0: people need the truth
1: yes well we do need the truth and the truth is unfortunately the healthcare system is racist just like so many other systems that we all live and operate in yeah and not just even the healthcare system but um all of our wellness and our preventative systems so Mm -hmm. a lot of people are familiar with the concept of food deserts right yes so there are certain communities particularly in urban areas so like i live in los angeles so in los angeles there are certain areas where there just is not as easy of access or as many grocery stores that carry what we consider healthy foods, so lower fat foods, fruits and vegetables, good grains, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. There might even be a few grocery stores that carry those things, but getting to them and then getting home with a bulk of groceries is very much an issue. Mm-hmm. And then those grocery stores, like anybody who's ever been to a Whole Foods or an Air One or even a Sprouts, it's more expensive than yeah. your local store down the street, so if you are already in an economically disadvantaged situation, and then someone is telling you you have to eat better, but you can't really afford to, and but you really want to try, you're like, okay, I'm going to take this $100 that I have right now that I have to make feed me and my partner and three kids for two mm-hmm. weeks, which we know $100 was, isn't going to go very far, right? No. Well, let's say I got this $100. You're going to go to the place you can get the most food for your hundred bucks rather than someplace like Whole Foods where you're going to get like three green peppers and avocado and a steak, right? Like that's all you're going to get for a hundred bucks. So things like that over time chronically get passed down from generation to generation. So people who live in poverty tend to stay in poverty, tend to have kids who stay in poverty. Yeah. So if over time you're not eating well, you haven't learned how to eat well, you're in a, a, a community or a family that's doing more of just trying to survive rather than being able to thrive by eating well, exercising, getting out into a park, which may or may not be in your neighborhood, all of those things, health is not a focus. Survival is a focus. Mm-hmm. And as we are very well aware And I'm just really focusing on one issue right now. But as we're very, very well aware, food is medicine. And so if you're eating right, you're avoiding obesity, diabetes, heart disease. If you can't eat well because you're sort of forced for a multitude of reasons to eat really cheap, crappy food, you're going to develop diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease earlier than the people who live 10 miles away who can't afford those foods. Does that make sense?
0: yeah absolutely yeah so
1: ugh. uh heavy I know yeah, I no I, I it should is. should have we should have been like, hey, Dr. James is not gonna be the least fun podcast <laughs> no, but, <laughs> his help,
0: but like I said, people need to hear these things and 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 it's facts. I mean, you know beyond the genetic uh role play and and the living environments and everything and eating more healthy things like that. What what kind of questions do you get from the BIPOC community? And what should they ask you on your Ask the NP Mm. Instagram and things like that? What do you what should men be looking out for? Like what should they be asking their doctor?
1: Also, I go back to how long is this podcast? So <laughs> although <laughs> go back and listen to some of the other, his health podcasts. These are great, man. These are fantastic. If this is the first time you're tuning in, I, you know, was doing a little of my research and went back and listened. Y'all have had some great guests, some great conversations, man. This is awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. I don't know about the host, but <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So <laughs> goodbye. No. Yeah. You're like, take care. <laughs> All right. Dr. James is done. Um, a lot of the same questions that everyone should be asking except sometimes the answers are different and sometimes the foundational knowledge is different so i mean when we talk about so i'm going to keep talking about systemic things here and this might Mm -hmm. kind of get annoying to people but if you are then also let's say raised in an environment where you your education just could not be as valued for a multitude of reasons, or you didn't get to go to a charter school, or a KIPP school, or a private school, or whatever. Like, you just went to good old-fashioned public school like a a bunch of the rest of us, Mm -hmm. and there were 48 kids in your biology class, and you're just doing everything you can to survive, and so is the teacher, and so is the 47 other people in there. You don't have the same foundational knowledge That someone who lives in a different part of Los Angeles or any community went to with a really great school with only 12 kids and it was private and, you know, does that make sense? So a lot of times what comes out of that is we have this expectation that we have adults entering the working world, entering the, the rest of the world with the foundational knowledge of just like what it means to be healthy. And so this is not like a knock on the intelligence of my community. At all, but sometimes some of the questions I get particularly from black men are what feel like very foundational questions about like health and like how medications work and this this is kind of across the board this is for everyone but a very similar example of something that that happens frequently in and i think it's all communities but i i experience it so much with black men because i take care of a lot of black men is mm-hmm. blood pressure medication so okay i as a provider might say to someone who's black your blood pressure is high i need you to take this medication and they take the medication and the blood pressure goes down and then they stop taking the medication now Was that an issue of how I communicated, how you should take your blood pressure medication? Mm -hmm. Is that an issue of the patient not understanding that their blood pressure only gets lowered and stays low if you keep taking the medication every single day? Is that an issue of health literacy as a foundation or a lack of health literacy as a foundation? Or... To a larger picture which is one of the many reasons but a really big reason why a lot of black men in particular don't seek as much health care as others mm-hmm. is probably there's a 96 percent chance that the person who told that black man to take this blood pressure medication to lower their blood pressure is not a black man mm. and it is very well researched and very well proven that we get better healthcare from people who are treating us, who have our shared experience, right? So as a queer person, I get better health care and I'm more comfortable asking questions and, and being as open as I can about my health around another queer person. And as a queer black man, I'm much more a, as around a queer black healthcare provider, right? Right. So 96% of the time that black man is going to walk into a clinic and not see another black man and instantaneously not feel as comfortable and open as they can. Mm. So that black man is probably very intelligent, Mm -hmm. maybe even has really great health literacy, but is not going to feel empowered to, to ask a question because they're afraid that maybe that provider might not understand them. And subsequently, the system doesn't teach the provider to be culturally competent in how they communicate to people.
0: So speaking on the LGBTQ plus community, are there any sort of screenings and tests that they should receive that um, that you wouldn't normally see people of uh, black or indigenous or persons of color get like, is there is there other things that they need to be looking out for as well? Besides, you know, like you said, HIV and things like that, what else is there that Mm -hmm. they need to know about?
1: i'm i'm a big fan of of at least when it comes to hiv uh, everyone moving towards hiv is one of those things that we screen for and care for in every single person that touches the healthcare institution mm-hmm. um that is at least sexually active so the new york department of public health is doing this right now yeah. and i forget the the phrase they use for it but every person that comes into any clinic any new york to public, uh new york department of public health clinic gets treated for HIV. Wow. Period, period, full stop. Now, if they're HIV positive, they get an update on their medications, they get their their treatment protocols looked at. They're like, hey, we can update you to this new medication, like all of that. If they're HIV negative, they get put on prep or they have a conversation with their primary care provider about whether or not prep is right for them, if they don't want to be on it, whatever. But everyone gets some sort of level of of HIV care, which I think is fantastic. And it what it has done is removed the stigma of HIV across the board. So yeah. if everyone is getting exposed to this, if everyone is learning about it, and everyone's like, okay, well, if you have HIV, we can treat it. If you don't have HIV, we can prevent it. Like, bada boom, bada bing, hey, uh, you know, like off we go. And yeah. and that type of approach is is fantastic for HIV in in terms of like the entire LGBTQ community. And just like we talked earlier about, like we lump. BIPOC together, but the experience of a Latina female is not the same as a experience of an old black man in the United States, right? So, like, we're not all the same, same for like the L's and the B's and the G's and the T's and the Q's and the A's and the I's and the pluses and everyone, right? Like we're not all the same. (laughs) My experience is not the same as a, you know, indigenous trans man, but for sake of conversation, there are much higher rates, unfortunately, of smoking, alcohol abuse and drug abuse, In that community. And so, you know, I really urge um, individuals, any providers who are listening to screen for those things. There's also a much higher incidence of um, suicidality, of of mental health issues um, for probably some, what are probably pretty obvious to a lot of people. But, you know, a lot of queer kids get kicked out of homes, have really difficult childhoods, are not accepted by general society. Like, I'm super lucky. My family was great from jump and I live in Los Angeles. So like I live a pretty privileged queer life, Mm -hmm. but you know, some kid from Nacogdoches, Texas who comes out, Has trans and pansexual likes probably going to have some issues. And if that kid is of color, even more issues. So uh, when it comes to health, you know, those listening who might identify as queer, you know, Obviously, you know, everyone wants to jump to sex in those issues, right? HIV or or STD screening, because unfortunately, when people think about us queer folks, the only thing they think about is sex, but we are complete people. So I really urge, you know, those listening. You still need to, you know, if you're 45 and older, you need to get a colonoscopy, just like everyone else. If you have a history of breast cancer in your family, you need to get, you know, breast cancer screenings. If you have a history of cervical cancer, whether you identify as female or male or not, if you have a cervix, you need to get screened for cervical cancer. HPV vaccinations should be happening for everyone. A lot of the same things as everybody else. But don't let your provider pigeonhole you into... Well, I'm just going to screen you for HIV and have a conversation with you about HIV because you're a gay man. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, great. I'm only 23. I'm still eligible for this HPV, HPV vaccine. Like, I don't want anal cancer down the road. Like, let's get that vaccine. You know, let's have that conversation about that. And so there's a percentage of the responsibility that is on the patient, of course, in any situation. But for me, it's much more about providers understanding the culturally you know nuanced needs of of everyone that they treat that's why we go to school for forever that's why we practice that's why they pay everybody else the big bucks ain't nobody paying me big bucks but that's why they pay (laughs) us the big bucks to like do what we do you know what i mean is to be able to take care of our patients in the best way possible
0: right let's go back to you talking about mental health because i i want to touch on this a little bit um in terms of individuals who like you said are in the lgbtq community or bipoc and lgbtq uh how much do you see that as an impact the the mental health and what do you what do you tell those people like what can you do to help them with those issues
1: Mm, that's uh it's a complicated one because, you know, the, the stigma of mental health is real in so many communities, mm-hmm. period. And then there are layered on top of that are the sort of cultural issues that come up with mental health. So I am not a part of the Latino, Latinx community. Mm hmm. I do work with, uh, you know, the, the hospital where I practice, the patient population is overwhelmingly Latino. And so just my years practicing there, I, I've developed a familiarity with the community and volunteering and all those different things. There's there's a sense in the community uh, of many things when it comes to mental health. And and in that community in particular, there's, a, you know, the, this is what the doctor says, so you're going to do it. And that's it. If the doctor didn't bring it up, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. Um, there's also, you know, you can, you can lean on sort of the old school machismo, although I'm finding that some of that machismo is disappearing, at least in my practice. But, but there's, there's not really a conversation about mental health and how that impacts our physical health and how that impacts culturally and within the family dynamic, right? Family is so incredibly important in a lot of, a lot of cultures and particularly Latino culture. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, sometimes it's on us as the provider. To, to say, okay, like if you're in my clinic, all right, we adjusted your medication. Your hemoglobin A1C is coming down. That's awesome. Good job. You're mm-hmm. eating a little bit better, getting a little bit of exercise. How's your head? Yeah. Like, how are you feeling these days, right? Like, oh my gosh, we all are living in COVID. It feels like the end times right now. Like, I know I'm feeling a little rough sometimes. How are you feeling? We just yeah. have to open the door. And yeah it's
0: so hard for for individuals to open up even if you're in the doctor's office one-on-one like you know oh, when man. when you're asked that question are you feeling depressed and you're just like uh well i mean maybe i don't I- <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> know right
1: and when we you know we might only have 15 minutes to to treat you right? right and that like that's even when you talk about sort of systemic issues like Unfortunately, the way our healthcare system is set up, we're a volume-based business for the most part. Unless you're with Kaiser, and mm-hmm. like a lot of providers, got 15 minutes to see 45 people in a day. Yeah. Well, if we spent 12 of those minutes talking about your diabetes, I might even be be able to bring up that conversation. But then we might only have two and a half minutes to talk about your mental health, which you know, obviously, is not <laughs> nearly enough time. Right. And so (laughs) then if it's, okay, well, I'm going to refer you to a therapist, Right. but then it's on that person who maybe even had a really hard time just simply opening up about the fact that they might have some mental health issues going on to call that therapist, set up an appointment, you know, get out of work to go to that appointment, do the things like, you know, all of that, whatever, which is why I think telehealth and the explosion of that during COVID is going to uniquely really benefit some BIPOC communities who might finally have access to internet or good cell phone signal, good technology because it's, we've all been sort of forced in that direction mm-hmm. and it's going to make having appointments with, with like psychotherapy and even, yeah. you know, primary care provider appointments so much easier. I'm really, really thankful for this explosion of, of technology.
0: I am too. We'll be back with more on health concerns for men in the BIPOC community right after this short break. This season of his health is sponsored by Boston scientific. Did you know that diabetes, heart disease, and prostate cancer procedures can contribute to erectile dysfunction? Many men aren't aware of this or of all the treatment options that a board-certified urologist can offer. Understand your options and learn where you can find an ED specialist to help. Visit edcure.org to get the facts and find a urologist who can offer treatment options that work when pills and injections don't. Again, that's edcure.org. And for more information about Boston Scientific, visit Bostonscientific.com. His Health is back with our guest, Dr. James Simmons, and we're discussing some of the specific concerns men might have in the BIPOC community. Now, what do you see as the ethnic and racial disparities that are most important and prominent in healthcare?
1: Uh, ha, 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 ha. Forty-seven just flooded my brain, <laughs> which is why I'm like, all forty-seven of these are the same. Most important, they are all as equal.
0: We uh, got man, thirty got seconds it. for each one.
1: For each one, okay, ready, go. So, <laughs> uh, honestly, I feel like prevention. You know, I I am an acute care uh, nurse practitioner. I'm a hospitalist and an intensivist. I do I do both. So. I see the sickest of the sick, right? Like the stories I'm running around the ICU, intubating people and doing all these things and whatever. Doing that, doing, taking care of the sickest of the sick, even pre-COVID has made me realize how important, how much more important preventative care is, right? I mm-hmm. want to keep people out of the hospital. If I have learned anything doing this, it is that we should be paying people more In primary care, doing the prevention, keeping people out of the hospital and keeping people healthy, then we should be paying people like me in the hospital environment, right? Absolutely. Um, We need to shift our focus. So that being said, I I would say access to really good, consistent, quality, preventative care. Uh, A lot of the patients that I take care of go to a clinic. Mm -hmm where they might go once a year, maybe, or they at least, it's the clinic down the street and they're have they're sort of semi-familiar with it. But there's not a a built-in sort of culture of this is my provider. They know me. I go see them at least every you know every six months or at least once a year if I've got nothing going on. You know, we adjust my medications. I can call them. I can email them, all of those things. That so many people with really great insurance and so many people with time and money have that type of relationship with their primary care provider. And so it prevents their heart disease. It helps prevent their diabetes. It helps get them into therapy. All those juicy, wonderful, lovely things. A lot of Black folks, Latino folks, and significantly Indigenous folks, a a lot of people of color just don't have that built in. To their communities, to their mm. churches, to their their lives, because the system has has left individuals behind. And so we have to just keep I think fighting for this access to care. And yeah. access to care has to mean more. I think people hear that and they say, Oh, great, we'll just build a clinic. Eh. <laughs> sure. That's great. That's part of it. Let's build a clinic. Let's build all of the clinics. But what we're by just building clinics, we're not addressing the larger picture of all of the things that I talked about. Who's staffing those clinics? Are they, you know, if you're staffing a clinic in Linwood, uh, which is kind of a part of LA or Southgate or whatever, yeah. you, everyone needs to speak Spanish. You right. also need to be explicitly clear about the care that you provide and signing people up for insurance has nothing to do with whether or not, or w- with your documentation status. Mm-hmm. There may be a lot of individuals who are here undocumented, who fear getting care because they feel like if they sign up for insurance, it's going to put them on the grid. And then all of a sudden they're going to be discovered by ICE, right? right. So is the provi- is the front desk person, the uh, the medical assistant, the nurse practitioner, nurse, et cetera, do they look like them? Do they speak the language? Do they understand the cultural nuances? Things like, you know, I will never forget Rick there early on in my practice. When I first moved to Los Angeles, I was having a conversation with a patient who had been in the hospital for kind of uncontrolled diabetes. So we got the diabetes under control. We're having a great conversation and the whole, the whole family was there. Mm -hmm. And at at the time, I didn't really understand that in certain for this family was Mexican and, and their in that culture, family is involved in everything like health related. So it was very normal for the entire family to be in the room at the time of discharge. So I'm talking to the patient about like all these things that we need to change. And I was like, you know what? Like lower carb is going to be really, really good for you. So like no, no, no tortillas with, with your meal and like do this and take this away and none of this. And I I'm, I'm like going through what she had told me she normally eats and I'm just like chopping things off left and right. Yeah. Now, ultimately, It was, you know, kind of good advice, but not very culturally competent at all, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have an appreciation for the role that this woman played in her family and how food is tied to that role and what food might mean in, in, in the concept of health, right? So like, I'm sick, I'm going to feed you. I want to take care of you. I'm going to feed you. Like Mm -hmm. you had a bad day at work. I'm going to feed you. Yeah, That's great. Now there are sometimes some consequences with that, right? Mm-hmm. So I was completely just like, well, you need to eat the way that I tell you to eat because I'm the right person and I'm the provider in here with all these like, uh, you know, degrees and stuff behind my name. And and I think we as providers have to stop doing things like that and become much more culturally competent with how we communicate with individuals, regardless of what culture we are from and the culture of the patient that we're serving.
0: Yeah and on top of that what do you think healthcare industries should do to start improving in these areas
1: it starts early mm-hmm. my my immediate thought was we need to start employing more providers of color um, but if you are not educating black indigenous people of color asian latino folks if you're not educating those folks to have a foundation of education that then says, "Yes, I I am ready to go to nursing school or med school or nurse practitioner school or PA school or physical therapy school or you know whatever." Mm-hmm. If you're not educating folks to believe that and reinforcing a message that yes, you can do that, the individuals are not going to take that path. And so it's almost a, a little bit of a self fulfilling prophecy, right? Like like uh, growing up as a black kid, like it just you were no, of course we couldn't be president there never been a black president. What are you talking about? You're not going to elect a black person as president. You must be crazy. And then, huh, we elected Barack. Well, I'll be damned. Mm-hmm. And so now my little nieces and nephews and cousins are like, I'm going to go into politics. Like I could be president, whatever, because they've <laughs> seen it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I keep telling them that's a horrible decision, but that's a different podcast. So dream baby dream. Right. I mean, Hey, if you want to go, for, I, you know, I tell all of them. Well, whatever. That's again a different podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if you're not seeing it, you don't feel like you can. So it's got to start early in education. We've got to address all these systemic things. Also, for the people who are there. So for the 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 BIPOC individuals who are practicing in medicine and nursing and public health and all those things, we need a we need a more significant seat at the table. It can't be oh, we all felt guilty about everything that happened last summer and society called out everyone on their whiteness and their white privilege and their white fragility and all those things. So we're going to invite Sharon, the only black person on the leadership team, into this meeting now. Mm-hmm. And then Sharon doesn't really have as much of a voice and certainly doesn't have the power to make change. And Sharon is, oh, by the way, probably by herself as the only like black or brown person in the room. Right. It can't start with tokenism, but it has to start in the hospitals, organizations, insurance companies, healthcare systems, all of those, those entities, just like everyone else has to look at themselves and really, really be honest about, wow, we serve a community that is 77%, you know, Latino, Mm -hmm. and we have an entirely white administration that doesn't really speak spanish this is not good right we have to do the things to to change those things so seat at the table with a voice that is heard multiple voices that are heard and multiple voices that can actually affect change um and and, and be in leadership positions it, it has to start there while at the same time you know educating and continuing to reinforce to younger these younger generations like Yep, actually, you can be the president if you want to be. Yep, you can be a doctor, whatever. You can be the next Dr. Oz if you want on TV. Like, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. Um, And that might sound a little trite to some folks, but it's still, unfortunately, a message that we still have to keep getting out there.
0: Absolutely. And these changes, do you feel, you know, like you said, going into a, uh, a clinic or whatnot in a, in a Hispanic community or black community and seeing a bunch of white people working there. Do you think that there, it causes a lot of distrust in the healthcare system?
1: Sure. <laughs> sure I mean, does. Obviously, are we, right? are we, is this, is this the time where I get even more real? <laughs> yeah. Like ha, when you walk in as a black person to almost anywhere, and I guess I can only speak, I can't speak for all black people. In Mm -hmm. my experience now and my experience is unique right i'm I'm biracial my mother's white my dad is black yeah i grew up in nebraska in the 80s and 90s and so during the week my mother would sometimes be the only white person that i would see because i grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood in omaha Mm -hmm. and then on the weekends we'd go out to my mom's parents farm in rural nebraska and my siblings would be the only people of color that i would see there'd be white people everywhere right yeah so a a very unique experience that in which i say i feel like i have learned to navigate white spaces (laughs) a a (laughs) lot better than some other bipoc folks because i've had to from a very early age but if you so most people are going to a clinic or a hospital because they don't feel good. So you already don't feel good. You probably haven't been feeling good for a while. You're really concerned about what's going on with you, right? Like, oh my God, everyone, right? You Google anything and you have cancer. Yeah, yeah. Right, so like, my toe hurts, don't oh my God, that. I have cancer. Right, <laughs> don't Google. But you're like, let's talk about prostate health, for instance, particularly in black men, right? Like, it. I, I actually don't know the specific to statistic off the top of my head, but at one point in time it was, Obnoxious! How many more black men die of prostate cancer than white men? Like eight times the number. It's crazy. I believe those numbers are better, but don't quote me. Mm-hmm. So, but let's say I, I I'm an older black man. I've been waking up in the middle of the night to pee a lot, and I may be having trouble with erections. I may be having trouble with with you know ejaculation. I am peeing sort of often, but not feeling like I, it's completing. I have the sense of fullness. Yeah. And I just don't feel good. So you finally like get up the courage to like go to the clinic because generationally it's been passed down generation to generation don't trust the healthcare system, mm-hmm. right? Henrietta Lacks, the Tuskegee experiment. The Baltimore yeah. Housing Project's experiments. Like, I could go on and on and on about the multiple times that the healthcare institution has knowingly, willingly experimented on Black people, causing us to get sick and die simply because we're Black and we were expendable. Mm. Very uncomfortable to hear, but the truth, some of it as recent as the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. So, you've been told your whole life, don't trust the healthcare institution. You certainly probably aren't trusting a lot of white folks as far as you can throw them just uh, through your life experience, but you know something is wrong and you don't feel good. So then you walk finally into a clinic or a hospital or whatever, and many folks of color and many poor folks, period, will wait until they are so sick that they have to go to an emergency room and the emergency room acts as their primary care provider. So you're in an emergency room. You sit there for eight hours waiting. And someone asks you in the middle of a lobby with about 47 other people around who are also been waiting for eight hours. They may or may not look like you or everyone in the waiting room looks like you, but the people helping you don't. It's mm-hmm. a young white woman. Hey, Mr. Jones, what what brings you to the hospital today? In the lobby in front of everybody. Are you going to say out loud, uh, I pee seven times a night. or I can't get an erection <laughs> or whatever. Right. No. You're not going to say that aloud, especially to this, this young person white woman who does not have your shared experience, who is also female Mm -hmm. around your friends and neighbors who are also in the emergency department. So finally you get into the emergency department. Finally, you're talking to a provider. Maybe there's a curtain separating you from the room next to you. And that provider is running, right? There are Mm -hmm. 14 patients to see. And you're like, well, I don't know. I pee a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, if the only thing that comes out is I pee a lot as a provider, One of the first things i think of in an emergency department environment anyway is that this man comes in and tells me he doesn't feel good maybe his heart rate and his blood pressure are a little elevated because he's nervous or there's Mm -hmm. been waiting for eight hours and he tells me he pees a lot i think urinary tract infection Mm -hmm. so i do a bunch of blood work and i send it off and maybe he does have a little bit of a urinary tract infection because he hasn't been emptying his bladder very well for i don't know maybe years so i treat him for a, a urinary tract infection he uh, His heart rate comes down a little bit. His blood pressure gets a little bit better. I say, you should probably go follow up with your primary care provider and get your blood pressure checked because it was too high. You probably should be on some medications. I'm going to start you on this one for two weeks, but go see your clinician. Okay, thanks. Bye. Mm-hmm. Because in the emergency department, where we're, our training is based literally in wartime medicine, like, right. how do I keep you alive? Yeah. So then you, older black man, waited eight hours in the emergency department, five hours to be treated. You tell someone finally, you've had all this time and courage and energy, whatever, to finally tell someone like you pee a lot and because that's all you could get out because, again, that provider didn't look like you. The nurse didn't look like you. They don't have your shared experience. You go home with an antibiotic. Completely missing the fact that your prostate is, you know, the size of an orange or whatever, right? Like it's huge. Yeah. So that story, and I just, off the top of my head, that's that story is so common and happens so often to so many people. And then what ends up happening is finally when another family member or that man himself or his pastor or coworker or whomever neighbor says, dude, you have to go to the doctor. Like, I will take you. Goes to the doctor. They finally do the test that they need to test for prostate cancer. And it's stage four. Hmm because it's not been cared for for so long. Not because this guy didn't know that something was going on, but maybe health literacy was low. Maybe it was really hard to get a day off of work because you're working six or seven days. Maybe there's family drama going on at home. Maybe you have to take the bus. Maybe you went to the ER two or three times. They treated you with that antibiotic and you actually felt a little bit better. So you were like, oh, maybe it is just a urinary tract infection, right? like that scenario just with one person with one condition happens so frequently over and over and over again and that each of the facets of that situation have to be addressed in order to change these awful statistics of black men Mm -hmm. dying earlier than every other racial ethnic group for all causes just Just like, let that sink in. Yeah. All causes of death, black men in the United States die younger than everybody else. If that doesn't tell you that the system itself is still racist and has a lot of work to be done, I'm not sure what does. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure that rolls into epic proportions with everything that's been going on in the last year and a half, two years with COVID. You know, Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what it's like in the, in the distrust with the healthcare system and and everything in the BIPOC community about whether or not they should get the vaccine. What's going on with Mm -hmm. COVID?
1: How do you feel about that? That's a really, that's a big one, man. The the vaccine, the vaccine has been really tough. Um, I mean, in general, right? There's like yeah, so yeah. much mistrust of this va- of these vaccines in general. Um, that's a also another 14 podcasts, but <laughs> you know, we can start a whole series, man. Let's do it! Like the, it's like the Rick James show. Get let's do it, it. <laughs> James. Hey, here we go. I like it. I like it. Sure, yeah. you gave us Wait. the title already. I like it. <laughs> there we go. Everybody's listening. It's the Rick James show. So mm-hmm. hopefully, God, Rick, you would talk more than I do. I feel like everyone listening. I'm sorry, I've been talking so much. Um, but hopefully, it's been interesting, and I've kept it kept it a little lively for you.
0: Absolutely, you have a wonderful you know,
1: voice. Uh, why? Why? Thank you very much. My grandmother also thought so. <laughs> She's the only one. You have a great voice. Thanks, Grandma. So, man, this vaccine. Mm-hmm. I go back to what I was talking about earlier about mistrust in the healthcare system in general, and we we reference Tuskegee a lot because it's the most famous of the horrible atrocities against Black people by the healthcare institutions, literally sponsored by the U.S. government. So, and that's the one that everyone kind of knows about. But there are tens of others that happened. And more importantly, there's this sentiment that has been passed down from generation to generation for mostly very good reason Mm -hmm. to not trust the healthcare system to not trust this system that was built on white people, for white people, by white people, this system that was, you know, many of the gynecologic, I know this is a men's health podcast, but many of the gynecologic advances that we have Mm -hmm. are because of one horrible, awful human being who experimented on black women without anesthesia. Including doing full hysterectomies, oophrectomies, removal of, of um, ovaries without anesthesia. Mm. Hundreds of women. And so stories like that, stories that aren't told in the, in the textbooks ever, have gotten passed down from generation to generation and the some of the you know like telephone some of the details might have been lost here and there but the sentiment is still passed down yeah so then you take a brand new virus and it just pops up out of nowhere so fast and it's so it's like beyond belief it's like we're watching the movie outbreak but it's actually happening in real life like none of us could believe that this was actually happening so fast right other <laughs> right. than the people who predicted it but again yeah. another, another podcast so oh my gosh this is happening Mm-hmm. whoa what do we do ah all these people are dying like whoa people are dying like this is intense oh my gosh i know someone who got this and got sick and died and then what we have a vaccine just like magically so fast right like yeah i'll go back to my hiv community we've like hold up you know the virus was first discovered in 1981 and we still don't have a vaccine for that but y'all were able to pull off a vaccine for this virus that didn't exist mm-hmm nine months ago but all of a sudden you have a vaccine like this seems suspect right and then you add stupid social media into it and you add politics politics right and misinformation which is wrong information but not intentional and Mm -hmm. disinformation which is intentionally misleading people yes you throw that all into the algorithm the robert kennedy juniors of the world and the other 11 that were you know awful And Mm -hmm. people spread that and whatever. And you trust your friends, barbers, cousins, aunties, dog walker on Facebook more than this institution that you've been told your entire life to not really trust, Mm -hmm. and you probably don't have a good relationship with anyway. You've probably been treated really poorly when you did go. Well, you're going to trust your community more and this is not everyone, right? Black people are not a monolith, right? Like we right. have our own minds and our own abilities to do our own research. And so, and you know, this the vaccine was invented by a black PhD researcher named Kizzy. Like, like people have done their research and when they've done their research, they, I think a lot of minds have been changed, but
0: yeah. you I have- And then you can make your educated decision totally beyond beyond going off of susie who you said lives next door and Mm
1: -hmm. has an aunt that has a cousin
0: that works in this field and yeah
1: except sometimes you don't a lot of people this is spans race ethnicity gender xr sexuality some people don't realize that their sources of information are bad sources So they think that they're doing research and they think that they're finding really great, yummy, juicy, wonderful information. And it's bad information masked as good information, right? Fake news, whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it, right? Like that stuff is unfortunately real. And so you add this entire mix of, of everything to this. And then one of the things that I think was a big miss by the healthcare institution, top down was the advertising and the communications of the vaccines how effective they are why they work where you can get them how they were developed all that stuff was still done in a very white centric way Mm -hmm. and so you advertise to communities and the way that you talked about it. And it wasn't really, there really wasn't much of a marketing campaign behind it anyway, but you got a bunch of white people like God love Anthony Fauci and Susan Burks, even though she made a bunch of mistakes, I thought she tried really hard, but you got these white people standing up there telling you, Oh yeah, everyone should take this vaccine. And you got these white heads of pharmacy pharmaceutical companies saying, yeah, my vaccine is going to save your life. Mm -hmm. And you got all these white people, (laughs) standing up there telling you to go take this vaccine. You have all of this suspicion and it's not being communicated in a way that is culturally sensitive to you. I don't care what background you probably have. And so I'm going to be suspicious of that anyway. And you add all of that up in a mix. And then, you know, of course we had communities of color who were slow and reticent to take the vaccine. It literally was more Latino and black people dying of COVID than anybody else. And being touched individually, families being touched individually for families to then finally say like, oh, I can, I should maybe take this vaccine because all of the other measures that, that should have been taken to communicate about the vaccine to these communities weren't done in the way that they should have been done. Mm -hmm. Heavy. God, I'm like the most depressing podcast today. I'm sorry. No, you're not. Stop.
0: (laughs) It's all good let's take a little turn though. And in our last episode, we were talking about reducing the stigma around men's mental health, which is such an important topic. And we've talked about a little bit in this episode. But how is that different or more important for men of different BIPOC communities?
1: Mm. There, sometimes I think that that The way, kind of like I was just saying about how we communicate, you know, this was part of my doctoral research, was how we communicate about HIV prevention needs to look different to different communities so that it is received in the way that it's intended to be received. Mm -hmm. And those communities need need to be a part of helping design that communication. And so I think I go back to the same thing with with various BIPOC communities, particularly men when it comes to mental health if the message about mental health and why it's important is not being communicated in a way that is going to be well-received or from someone who has my shared experience, I'm going to be a little bit more reticent to believe it. Yeah. And so, you know, some people will, will throw in like, you know, like I said, mentioned earlier, like machismo in the Latino communities and, you know, being, I'm a man, I'm taking care of my family. and being mentally strong. Like I don't need, you know, I'm not emotional. There, there's there's some reality to that, right? There's like we as a society don't reward men for being, quote, emotional or being mm. in touch with their emotions, right? We reward men for their physicality. And masculinity. We, right. Reward men for their masculinity, for mm. their sexual prowess, for their ability to make money, right? Yeah. We don't reward men for saying, I don't feel right. Like my head is not screwed on right, right now because I've had a lot of stuff go down in my life. Like we Mm -hmm. don't reward that. And so as a society, we have to start sort of rewarding those things, which is why I think it's, you know, people will disagree with, with me on this, but I think celebrities Suck. And people oh, suck <laughs> <laughs> mostly. Mostly. Yeah. I do know like two like legit celebrities, and they're both lovely people, but like yeah. in general. But that's like all I know. I think <laughs> it just happens because you live in LA, right? You just run into end up getting to know, people, <laughs> but whatever. But like I think, like Marshawn Lynch, who I think has worked with Providence before. Yeah. Marshawn Lynch literally his nickname was Beast Mode. Like, maybe the most just aggressive in your face like down your throat running back we have maybe seen in i don't know generations maybe i'm
0: assuming you've met him
1: i have not met marshawn
0: he is one of the sweetest men you'll ever meet
1: is he oh i'm so glad to hear that it's
0: funny that you say you know his name it's it's ironic you know he's named beast mode and he's like this extreme force on the field but he's such a sweet guy
1: so sweet yeah and 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 i think what i think is is that that's amazing because it shows the complexity, particularly of a black man yeah. playing the most macho sport, right? Like playing football. Mm-hmm. And when he said in that press conference, like, I got to get my mentals together or whatever, or like make sure your mentals are right or whatever, I yeah. mean, that was a game changer. Like, you have beast mode on a Super Bowl team. They should have given him the ball mm-hmm. in the last play <laughs> and they would be two time Super Bowl champs. But you, You have this dude who is like a football, like probably going to go down legend. Like, he'll probably be a second or third ballot vote to the Hall of Fame just because of like what he did. Like, this dude to say, like, you got to get your mentals together. I think things like that are important. I think, like, LeBron James talking about mental health, we'll put his vaccine stuff recently aside, but talking about mental health is important. I think Kevin Love talking about mental health is important. I think people like Lizzo, Demi Lovato, like, I could go on. Unfortunately, in our society, we revere people because they're really good at games or they're really good at singing. But when those people get real with us and get vulnerable with us, it allows us to do the same thing in our real lives. And so I don't dismiss the power of other black men having conversations about their mental health as a means to trying to open up conversations among other black men who are not celebrities right having conversations about their mental health
0: yeah i think i mean that obviously goes for the black community but in all communities i believe it Mm -hmm. just needs to be more normalized and destigmatized and it's such a huge issue we have and it's only compounded you know through generations and generations of like you said uh, As a male figure, you're supposed to act a certain way or be this way and not, not show any sensitivity. And we've, we've been, it's been ingrained in us for so long Mm -hmm. and we need to break that. Mm -hmm. Like we are all human. We all feel, we all have these emotions and
1: they all need to be accepted. And I I think that we, we have made some really significant strides in doing that in the Mm -hmm. last few years. I think if they're uh, unfortunate, I, I, I'm really sensitive when I say this, so I I don't think COVID was a blessing. Okay, I don't. I wish COVID never happened. I'm not a fan of COVID. So many people have died, and it's been awful. It's really, I mean, I'm I suffer. I will be vulnerable. I suffer with some pretty significant PTSD mm-hmm. from having worked the front lines of COVID from day one. And then on my off weeks, I talk about it all day long in the media. So (laughs) like I got a lot of COVID issues and, and, but I'm, you know, I took some time off the last two weeks to clear my head very intentionally. My partner was like, you got to get away. Like, you know, I'm trying to do what I can to take care of my mentals. Um, But I, I think that we have made some significant strides. And so with all of that being said, I think one of the things that may be coming out of COVID that could be considered a silver lining is that I think so many more people are being just got so raw and defeated <laughs> that they mm-hmm. finally got to a point where they're like, I don't care what anybody thinks. My head isn't right. My mental health needs help. Mm. And so many people doing that just from a volume standpoint has really allowed other people who are also feeling that way to really open up and talk about their mental health. And for that, I will be eternally thankful. Yeah.
0: So is there anything else that we haven't covered about this extremely important topic? That you want to make sure our audience knows oh man <laughs> what do episode i want 67 that's <laughs> right
1: episode right let's keep going the rick james show so i i will say this so and this is a message to anyone who's listening who uh you know again my experience is, is is as a black man but but uh black indigenous asian latino any person of color and my queer folks out there too. There is someone out there who has your shared experience, who can help take care of your health. It is worth it to you to do a little bit of, of Googling and do a little bit of asking around and finding them. It can change everything. It can literally be the difference between being a statistic and not being a statistic. It is not a foregone conclusion that young Black men who have sex with men have to get HIV 50% more than every other racial background. Just because that's a statistic now doesn't mean that that has to be your reality. You don't have to die of heart disease three times more than your white counterparts at age 50 just because those are the statistics now. So while those of us with platforms... And in positions of influence and authority are going to continue to work to try to like tear down the system and rebuild it in a way that's better for everybody. I also urge you that never in humanity have we had more resources and opportunities for you to be able to find healthcare that will fit and work for you. And even if that means having a a conversation with someone on your computer or on your phone, it's out there. Try to work for it there there really really are resources for resources for you and i promise you it is going to be so so worth it
0: beautifully put well james thank you so much for coming on the episode and conversing with me and sharing your knowledge it's been it's been a wonderful time
1: thank you i have i have also had a wonderful time rick i hope i didn't bore everybody to tears
0: stop it once again i want to thank dr james for joining us today on his health our friends at Boston Scientific for sponsoring this show and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. We look forward to continuing the conversation on men's health with more experts from Providence and future episodes. So make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media where we can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, go to Providence.org and follow Dr. James on Instagram at AskTheNP. Thanks for listening and be healthy.